Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income, and I could not be more excited to have Connor with me here today. How's it going, man? It is going awesome, dude. There's so much stuff going on, uh, just insanely busy, back-to-back today. Got a lot of things going on, and uh, we just had this podcast. We're like, dude, let's jump in. Let's get one done, and uh, we're going to talk about a really awesome topic today. Uh, It's going to be sweet, and so much of this has to do with all these things that we've got going on actually right now and uh, how to go about all this, what it all entails. It's going to be great. I mean, it's so important, and really on today's subject, it's probably the thing that people miss the most, and it's probably what has separated us from the pack, I think, as far as asset performance, scaling, and everything else. And what we're talking about today is unit pricing. Um, and I'm talking about this in a lot of different facets, and this includes and is a large portion of building and what units you build. How, when you buy, how do you predict or not predict, but project your revenue. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten from brokers or other people models where I have to go back and just redo all of it because it's just not right. And we're going to talk about how you get to effectively underwrite the revenue portion um, through unit pricing today. Um, When you're looking at an acquisition, understanding where the downfalls are, where's that money on the table as we talk about, and how you set yourself up for success and maximize the revenue out of the facility because so many people are leaving so much money on the table through this. Um, Before we dive into that, though, we have got to talk about our sponsors. It's one of the reasons, as we talk about in this, and we talk about leaving money on the table, unit pricing, um, partners are fundamental and so important, and your financing partner is one of the most important pieces in this all because it will dictate so much of your success, if you can get a deal, what that deal looks like. And if you just are out brokeraging out, so to speak, not that that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but just simply looking at price. For a lot of people, when financing a facility, that doesn't work. You need an actual partner. You may be starting out or you may need to know how to take things to the next level or get a deal done that you don't know how to get it done and finance it. That's why we chose um, Terry Campbell and... uh, he, oh, man, it's been a while now, but you got to go back and listen to the podcast. Uh, they specialize in everything from SBA financing, but really storage over at Live Oak Bank. They are a partner with people all over the United States. They go into markets that we're all in. Um, they look at the deal. They look at the business plan. They work with you. 
that they by do. far sets them apart from everybody else. Yeah, and we just had actually somebody comment on one of our YouTube videos the other day. Uh, they had gotten some really good rates and uh, everything from Live Oak through their SBA program um, to get into storage. So yep. uh, they have a ton of really, really awesome stuff over there, solutions financing-wise. Uh, and again, yeah, they, they know storage. They know the market. Fantastic group of people over there. You guys got to check them out for sure. And the next person, we, our next sponsor we got to talk about is Janus. Um, we, I just had a meeting, so I was having a, a call here with somebody. We were looking at a facility. The facility was a value add and needed redone, and they were getting new doors. And he's like, how should we go about this or whatnot? Once again, Janus is a partner in this. They can look at your facility. They can look at what needs to be done. They can look at what the advantages are to certain types of unit doors, siding, the whole metal fabrication part, and they can help you come to see which what needs to be done and what maybe could wait or shorten up. But then also, we were as we were talking and going through it, it was the perfect time when upgrading this facility to add in new technology like Noki, which they offer and they own. Um, that is so exciting and such an opportunity when you're doing that value add. you got to build in that CapEx, but you can come in with a partner that can take care of the metal, the doors, and they can also take care of a technology part and give you a value add option that nobody's giving you in the marketplace. It sets you apart. It has for us at our facilities. And uh, um, so both of these these uh, uh, sponsors, they're in our show notes. They're on the site, selfstorageincome.com. You can go to there. Uh, we also talk about them in our YouTube. So check them out. We are so grateful to have them as sponsors for that. Once again, these were chosen. Um, and they were chosen specifically for those things because we think it's a value add for you guys, our listeners. With that, Let's get started on unit pricing. I got a lot to go through here, everybody. I've been going through modelers all day um, and working with individuals um, in our inner circle on these aspects. And when understanding unit pricing and understanding unit products, supply, demand, we got to start out with the fundamentals, and that is the Main thing that I tell everybody, you can read it in my book, it's on YouTube, units are products, individual products. A 10 by 10 is not the same product as a 5 by 5 climate controlled. A 12 by 20 or whatever that unit is going to have a different customer base and desire and needs to have its own pricing structure, schedule, and understand its individual supply and demand. I can't stress this enough, guys. Storage is a business. It is not just a real estate asset class. Treat it like it. When you go in and you have 10 unit sizes, you may have 15 products you are now selling in that storage facility. Yes, you have box, locks, you know, different things like that, services, add-ons, trucks, um, insurance, but you have 10 individual products at that facility. Who's your customer? And people get this wrong. So we've developed a method that I use that we walk through to analyze the marketplace and understand how we build out units. And, and, and this is easier to explain starting out with understanding us building a facility because it's the reason I like it is I can take it's like a, a canvas, you know, and it's just blank. 
And we can come onto that canvas and we can say, what does this market need? Yeah. And that allows us a lot of advantages that we can maximize facility. So let me walk through an example of one we already did. We did a facility, and when looking at the marketplace, first of all, we use things that we built out. Um, Brian built out our heat maps, and the heat maps are a way that we understand demand and availability in the market. And the heat map tells us a picture of what customers are doing. And we can see individual unit types and their availability in the market and their pricing structure and how that's working within that market. That tells us, obviously, we do this through secret shopping and online, and it it takes some work. We, we work hard at this part, and we do a bunch of revisions. We do updates. We do walk-ins. Um, and by doing this discovery, we can see an existing facility or a new build where the holes are, where they're missing, particularly in that revenue portion. So our heat map, as we're going through the discovery and mapping out this demand, it's you you put it all together and it goes from green to red and you just see these focus areas. And we see what the market's missing. Let me give you an example. The one we built, we built an 85,000 square foot facility from the ground up. When we built out the structure, how we wanted it to run, what we needed. Everybody from the builder to the feasibility study people said we were doing certain things wrong. They said, you're missing out on the market because your aisleways, first of all, are too big. Your doors are too big. Some of them are like uh, two-car garages. And then you have these huge indoor drive-in units for like RVs um, and they go, that's the lowest price option. Because when you're looking at price per square foot, your revenue, if you do it on a spreadsheet, five by fives would be the only thing you would ever build. An example of one we're building right now, on a monthly or on a yearly revenue, a five by five nets us $24 a square foot. The other products that we're looking at building, when you're looking at like a 10 by 15, or even you get larger from there, um, it gets all the way down to like, you know, we're talking eight bucks. Well, of course, if you spreadsheet that, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah. Why would you ever build anything except that product, it, right? I mean, it's over double the revenue. And herein lies why real estate people built a lot of bad products when they built storage facilities because they looked at it like that. They were developers. They were builders. They were flippers or they were just doing a hands-off approach and they wanted to maximize revenue. What we did is we took a sense, we weren't from the real estate world, we came in and said, well, hold on, what are we selling? Who are we selling it to? What is the service that is being provided? We built large aisleways so trucks and semis could get through the facility because we knew that when studying storage facilities, businesses stay twice as long as regular tenants and they are not nearly as price sensitive. When looking at that, we focus on the law, uh, lifetime value, okay? So the LTV of our tenants, this is important because it comes down to this. If I have a tenant that stays 12 months, right, 
at, let's say, we'll use easy math here, a dollar, right? That is 12 bucks. Now, if I have a tenant, though, that stays for, um, let's say, 30 months, right? That's $30. Now, if you look at it, there's this weird bell-shaped curve in pricing. And the pricing is, price elasticity is what you're looking for. How high is that rent going to go before they won't buy? And what we found was that on the units, if we could get somebody to stay for 25 months, right? And we could charge them uh, a buck 50. So we're not getting our 30 months, but we're getting our buck 50. That comes out to, is that 75 bucks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 75 bucks. And so there was this idea of maximizing price and length of the tenant, okay? Well, we found out that by maximizing and taking an in-between, whereas if I took that 12, uh, if, if I took that dollar times 12, 12 months, maybe I could sell that unit for $2 instead of uh, the 150. Okay, Walk, you know, I'm going to do a whole YouTube video on this, but that equals to be $24. So instead of a dollar times 12 months, we moved it to $2 and I get $24. Now, the person down the road may say, I have a higher rate than you. But then when we looked at it and said, we're going to charge 1.5, but I get them to stay for 25 months instead of 12, I get 75, right? That's over double, even though the rate is only 50 cents in this example less. Now, there's a way to look at this, and we talk a lot about supply and demand, and you're trying to find an equilibrium, right? But storage is interesting because this equilibrium and supply and demand doesn't exactly work. What we found, that's common sense. That's what most people look at, and they say, okay, well, we can get it. But we looked at the different tenant types and the utilization. And what we found is instead of saying, I have to give up less to get more time staying, which was the common knowledge, I said, what if we charge 2.5 and still kept them at 25 months? Well, if you do now, instead of charging less to get them to stay longer, if you do 2.5 times 25, right, the first, you charge less to get them to stay longer, but the 2.5 times 25 were now at so if you went to, so you're going 2.5 is that per square foot that you're doing on that yes 2.5 times 25 times 25 months. you're gonna get 62 so 62 and then on your other 50. example if we were doing what was the one you just did before um 1.5 times 25 1.5 times you, everyone's 25. so confused but this is gonna make sense that's 37 that's 37 okay so 1.5 times 25 so the reason I'm writing this out, and once again, we're doing, a, we're doing a YouTube video on this, is common knowledge is if I drop price instead of getting the $24, right, then I will get uh, less price, but they'll stay longer. So instead of 24, I get that 37. But then we said, well, what if we found a situation in which we could get the, still achieve our length of stay at 25 and we could get the 2.5? And that is uh, $62, meaning we doubled every single example. 
How did we do this? We focused on, first of all, the clientele and the service. Our goal was to achieve the inverse of what was conceptual wisdom. The shorter term, the higher you pay, the longer term, the lower you pay, and you're offsetting that, and in the middle is where you get it. And we said, well, why don't we just get higher paying tenants to stay longer, and how do we do that? So then we analyzed the elasticity of our tenants, and we found that businesses are much more inelastic. They do not change, whereas individual customers are much more elastic. They're moving, they're changing, they're more price sensitive. So businesses stay longer and they are less sensitive to price increases. So how do we get businesses to pay us the 2.5 for 25 months and double our lifetime value? That's the goal, right? We found that when you build large aisleways and larger length units for access room, it allowed larger trucks to get in and it allowed deliveries to be made. So when we built the facility, they said your units are too wide, your aisleways are too wide, your units are too big and too wide. If you built smaller units, you could charge more price per square foot and get more of them in. That would be more turnover or everything else. Well, we said, let's try to maximize. We'll start out lower, but we'll get price uh, customers that are inelastic to price to come in. We can up them up over time and they stay on average double or triple the time spent. So by the time that it's ended, we're at the exact same price or higher as a five by five. Mm-hmm. Hope that makes sense. So we built the facility. We said no to the builders. We said no to the feasibility study. We built the facility with those aspects in line. It had a road that went straight down the side. Semis could enter in access to larger facilities. We had smaller units, but they were climate controlled. They were indoor. They were two story because we found that climate controlled units, people pay more, they stay longer. So if we were going to have small ones, we would double the price, do it that way. Then we allowed for large indoor RV parking. Also something they said, this is the most useless uh, 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 space that you could do. In the market, people were paying like 150 bucks for that. When we did the heat map, though, we found out something was totally wrong. And we found out that that actually, if you looked at the market of high-end RV owners, these people own a half a million dollar RV and these indoor um, storage RV parking, there was no availability. All of them had huge waiting lists. So what we did is we built those. We targeted high-end RV owners and instead of pricing them at the $150 uh, rent that the market was, we priced them at $400. Now, this gets important, okay? Now, let me walk you through how this facility is looking. Then we're going to talk about how we projected. We bucked the wisdom. We did larger. We did dry aisles that you could turn around in. We did RV parking instead of doing what all the competitors were doing, and they were doing 10 by 10s, 5 by 5s, smaller aisleways, volume. Um, We did multi-story. We added climate controlled, all of which, when we showed in our heat maps, were lacking substantially. Um, When we looked at our business plan, one of the things that we look at is the effect on the market, or what we call probability. All right, I look at the probability of us achieving those prices because anyone could say 400 bucks and you can maybe get it right, right? 
So probability is broken up into two parts, okay? The probability of you achieving these numbers. So if you're buying a facility and you're running, like we get tons of these, okay? We get all these numbers coming back from real estate agents and they're saying, here's our pro formas, right? Well, then when we do a walkthrough of the probability, we come back, instead of just saying, I think your numbers are BS, we walk through why the probability of you achieving those revenue numbers are either low or non-existent. So the first has to do with supply and demand. The second factor in probability has to do with pricing, okay? And this can be trends, current, existing, vice versa. When we're looking at the supply and demand, we're using the heat map to understand uh, not just demand, but total quantity. Every single unit is its own product. Let's go back to the RV right? example, indoor parking. Let's say, keeping things simple, there's 100 RV units on the market. Now, hold on. Before we talk about this, this is all stuff we just came up with because we needed to. This is not rocket science, as you can tell from this podcast. I'm not a rocket scientist, but we needed answers to solve these simple questions. It wasn't good enough for me to make a projection and say, yeah, we think we can hit these numbers. I needed to know what the probability of each revenue line item was going to be. So when we looked at the probability, if you had 100 units in the market and we were putting in five units, so we were building five new units into that market we were increasing the overall supply by 5%, okay? This is something that I don't think a lot of people really take into account when calculating what they're going to build at their facilities. So I'm really glad you're, yeah. you're going to dive into this because... Well, and it's not only what we build. When I'm looking right. at a, one that I'm buying, if I got 10 by 10s and I'm saying I want to increase the price to X, mm-hmm. how many 10 by 10s are on the market? right. What percentage of my 10 by 10s are the market's 10 by 10? It's got to align. Because demand, a lot of people come back and they say, oh, well, there's a lot of demand. I love it. Because it's like relative to what? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What What are you talking about? And if you have storage facilities that you're looking at and you're like, there's a lot of demand and that's a climate controlled facility and you're looking at a drive up of 20 by 20s, you're talking apples and oranges. So- we can fool ourselves into thinking that all products, all types, all services, and customers are the same to draw simple and easy conclusions. But when I looked at it, I said, we would be building 5% of the market. Out of this market, we have 100%. There's waiting lists. And there's so there's none available at all, right? Well, my 5% would be relatively insignificant in moving the dial to that supply chart. Why is this important? You have people that look at small markets and they say, I want to, I'm going to build a 20,000 square foot facility. It's not that big, right? And so I think we can fill it up. And I say, okay, but there's 50,000 square feet of storage on the market. So you're building almost 50% new market share. How do you know that that market can sustain a 50% almost increase Mm -hmm. in supply? Huge. You don't. At that point, you're making it up because the probability then for that would be extremely low to me. But at a 5% increase of market supply, the probability at 100% occupied waiting list, 
gets to be pretty high. But now, more importantly, I'm like, are they giving the units away? So it just doesn't matter. Everybody has one because they're free. Well, when we looked at the prices, they were trending up. Every single year, prices had been getting, going up and up and up. And so the 100% occupied was in a rate increase environment. People weren't moving out. That tells me these prices or these, these consumers for this product type, indoor RV parking, are very inelastic. They're not budging when you give them price increases. So now I know that that 5% will take a big beating on prices. My probability for that product was a 90% at our demand. So the demand in the market was $150 after our analysis of pricing trends, square footage, percentage of the market, which obviously the 105 wasn't real. It was actually less than 5% um, in the overall market, which we did a five-mile radius. Um, so we thought that at that price point, we had a 90% probability of filling up that square footage. We did this on, every, you do this on every single unit. So on my performance, I have line items of revenues, what's currently existing if I'm acquiring a facility. That's example A. I have that. If you go to our site, we have actually that model. Then we have um, B, example B. B is what I will do with the facility. That's the value add part, right? Next to that, I have probability of me charging the new rates and what are the probabilities of us actually achieving those rates. And the probability comes down to how we decide that, once again, supply, demand, and pricing trends. At the end, our new revenue, from our new example, I buy the facility, I turn it around through the value add, I get a new revenue that I've projected out, this is your performa, and at the ed at the side of it, it also tells, tallies up a probability of me achieving that, which is the cumulative of all the probabilities of the individual units. So now it's not just about me hitting this unknown number. And this is important because I don't gamble. I don't deal in unknowns. So what are the odds? Well, when we did this with the example of the facility that we were building, the bigger units all had astronomically high probabilities. And we found the way to get tenants that were inelastic to price was, you know, through this method, businesses, large aisleways. We also provide a dump for the RVs. Um... And we charged by far the highest prices around. We built the facility. We filled it up in three months. So we hit, within a three-month period of time, our occupancy. Um, Which, for anybody that's wondering, is, I mean, that's huge. The average is three years. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we I think we never had a quarter of lost revenue. And... Uh, on a new build, um, I have pictures. We literally had lines coming out of the storage um, because we did opposite of whatever everybody else did. Because when I focused on supply and demand, I focused on units that had high demand and nobody was there because I knew that I didn't need to win the storage game. I needed to win that units game. And if I could do that over 10 units, the overall performance of the facility would be astronomical and could sustain rate increases every single year, which even this year, even in the heart of the recession, we're giving rate increases. We're over 96% occupied. This is my secret sauce that you all now know about pricing units. This is exactly how we do it. 
we come up with probabilities of achieving certain numbers. The lower the probabilities get, the lower those rates have to come down to. We look at market testing. We look at unit um, uh, quality. We look at supply demand and to come up with the probability number because it has to be weighted equally. So when I get a spreadsheet of somebody that says there's a great unit for a storage facility for sale, has great value add opportunity, here's our performance. I'm like, that's nice. And then we go and we look and we pull out their performance and we look at the probabilities of us ever achieving those performance numbers, right? Um, we see this in markets that are completely oversupplied and there's just no even reason why those numbers would be achieved. Yet they're selling it on the fact that they'll achieve it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why this all became so important to us when we were building. Uh, I didn't understand the real estate stuff, but we understood that we were running a company and we were selling a product. That's where it came down to. And I understood the basics that you want to sell a product and you want to charge the most. Well, let's go back to economics 101, right? Supply and demand. And how do you increase demand? And how do we increase the lifetime value of that person? I wanted my cake and I wanted to eat it too. Um, that's how we approach all of this. Um, when I do a YouTube video, I'll actually do an on-screen walkthrough of our tools and what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. It'll be a longer YouTube video. But it's a really important one. Um, and, you know, yeah, once again, maybe I shouldn't even be saying this. This is our secret sauce, but it's important for you to know. And the more bad deals that people do, the more it destroys our markets. Mm -hmm. If everybody did this, we'd always be doing rate increases. Markets would never get overbuilt. Investors, owners, and customers, cities, all participants would be thrilled with our product. And that is our goal. We want to make sure that the self-storage market is healthy forever. The biggest threat to self-storage, I always say self-storage, but it's not just self-storage. It's uneducated self-storage owners and developers that are looking at some spreadsheet and just expecting to get out of the game and flip it on a pro forma number, which is a CO. They get their CO and they flip it, and they're basing the sales price to somebody that has a lot of money off a pro forma number that can't be hit. That is dangerous. That is speculation. Mm -hmm. We're in this game for the long run. We want a good, healthy self-storage market. We want rising prices, and we want big margins. And this is how you do it. If I can't hit these numbers and if we have low probabilities, I don't do it because I don't gamble. I love it, dude. No, it's all great points. Just meshing all of those things together, all of that market analysis, uh, supply and demand, putting all the pieces together and really getting a good idea of where to price those units. Um, and then you, you touched on a lot of really good aspects, like finding the right tenant for the facility, like businesses and things like that. Uh, we've got a lot of videos on YouTube that talk about a lot of these aspects and people actually will go on and they've asked questions just like this. Well, like, how did you find out that there was even like demand? How do you know what to price businesses? my ten by ten exactly? Yeah, and so we go on there. We try to get it. Uh, I know AJ's been working like crazy answering questions uh, in the comments. So you guys go check out those videos and, and leave your questions in those comments too, uh, or feel free to to uh, add to any of that stuff that uh, AJ's talking about on any of those videos. Uh, it's a really good place for everybody everybody to kind of connect. Yes. Uh, and share that knowledge and all that good jazz. So check out uh, Self-Storage Income YouTube. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate sure. it. See you next time. Yeah.